Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. It's a special podcast we put together on the weekends for you to enjoy. It's going to highlight some of our best interviews from this week from the radio show. You can hear these interviews live during the week in your local radio station. To find out where you can hear the Dan Bongino radio show near you, go to Bongino.com. Click on Station Finder, and you'll find the station nearest you. But before we get to our first interview, let me get to one of our sponsors. We really appreciate their time. What if there was someone out there who kept the log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? That's exactly what happens every time you go online. Your internet providers can store logs of every website you've ever visited and can legally sell this data to anyone. That's why I always use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet providers can't see or log what you do online. Now, you may be wondering, well, if I'm routing all my data to a VPN, does that mean the VPN can see what I'm doing and log my data instead? Well, a lot of VPNs claim to have a no logs policy, but I'm going to call it logging customer activity. ExpressVPN is the only VPN I trust because they use trusted server technology. ExpressVPN is so confident in their no logs claim, they even had one of the biggest assurance firms, PricewaterhouseCoopers, audit their technology. Visit expressvpn.com slash Bongino today to get three months free on a one-year package. Get your privacy back. That's expressvpn.com slash Bongino. First up today, we talk with Don Trump Jr. about his new podcast available on Rumble. We also talk about how wokeness and misinformation are screwing everything up in society today. Don't miss this. Donald Trump Jr. Don, welcome to the show. Good to be with you, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. I was absolutely ecstatic to see this news release the other day that you will be starting a podcast called Triggered with Don Trump Jr. on Rumble. Disclosure, I'm an investor in Rumble, folks. But uh, I saw it and was uh, really, really smiling ear to ear. It's great to have you over there. Tell us about the show. I believe it starts January 23rd. Yeah, well, it's going to start end of January, and I'm just excited about it. You know, because uh, we've had this conversation many times, I think we can disclose that about you know, our feelings yeah. for what, what's going on you know, with big tech, but honestly, even at this point, even legacy media, uh, you know, so many of the quote unquote conspiracy theories that have happened and people wanted to just have conversation about uh, that were dubbed as misinformation or disinformation or got people thrown off. You know, no one's been having honest conversations anymore, Dan. Uh, everyone's been having conversations, you know, under the guise uh, of overlords that want nothing to do with free speech or truth or anything. Uh, and so I've been such a believer uh, in that movement, separating ourselves from, you know, those kinds of platforms and doing it that, uh, you know, Chris Pavlovsky, I think he's done an incredible job with Rumble. I think it's been a great success. And I think its success demonstrates that there's a real demand for people wanting to have those conversations, whether they agree with it or not. What I what I love about the platform, it's not right or left. There's people on both sides of the spectrum on there. And that's OK, because that's the way it should be. So, right. yeah, I, I'm really excited about it. It, it. It'll be it'll be fun. And I'm sure we'll drive a lot of people crazy. Oh, we're talking to Don Trump Jr. I, I know we will. He's got a new podcast coming out on Rumble. It's called Triggered. It'll be available uh, around January 23rd. Yeah, you know, Don, that's one of the things about the free speech movement that makes me, and I'm sure you as well, proud to be a conservative. We don't fear liberals. Not only do we not fear them, we actually welcome them. Uh, you know, me being an investor in Rumble, I say to liberals, 
Come on over, man. I think your ideas are stupid. I think they're ridiculous. I think they're counterproductive. And you know what? I would love to hear you voice them on Rumble so I can then take some of the content and refute it on my own podcast on Rumble. But that's not what they do to us, Don. And it's not what they did to your dad when they blocked the Hunter Biden information that unquestionably interfered in the 2020 election. Oh, without question. And remember, if if a conservative did that, they're, you know, they're uh, the, the leading cause against democracy. They'd be in jail. Like, in, in all fairness, they, you know, that oh, yeah. would be an actual insurrection, not like a fake insurrection where people show up unarmed uh, and, and are protesting, right? That would actually be uh, an insurrection. And yet when it happens on the left, it's, it's just crickets. It's people ask me, like, you know, you have Truth, you have Rumble, you have all these platforms that I love being on. But, I, you know, I stayed on Twitter even when it was totally leftist run because – Yes, I think that my ideas and my ability to back them up uh, actually makes the other side look foolish. Uh, It's why I don't leave any of those platforms. We have to be engaging in those conversations. And the fact that only one side uh, wants to actually engage in that battle, only one side wants to actually uh, compare our ideas, tells you everything you need to know about the other side and the actual viability of their ideas. They're not good. You know, I, I've been saying even as it relates to, you know, the elections and all of the craziness going on, right? Like the conservatives, we're actually not losing on ideas right now. Uh, we're actually, in my opinion, starting to make strides and maybe are even winning uh, sort of the pop culture side of things because people understand how lunacy uh, is driving the left. What we're losing is we're not capable of running a ballot harvesting operation like the other side. And, you know, we, we have to make those distinctions and, and we have to change accordingly. But uh, in terms of ideas, uh, in terms of, you know, bringing people on, in terms of turning people off, uh, you know, the conservatives like, and their ideas are now actually winning a lot of those battles. We have to do a lot more to actually win elections, in my opinion. Um, you know, but, you know, but baby steps, you know, we're, we're never going to be uh, ahead of the curve on those things. They're always, uh, much better at figuring those things out and being five years ahead of us by the time we realize what's going on. But uh, I, I think it's a great start. Yeah, we're talking to Don Trump Jr., host of the new podcast on Rumble, coming up January 23rd, Triggered with Don Trump Jr. You know, Don, uh, one of the things, unfortunately, the left is very good at as well is uh, deep state, overly bureaucratic government that's weaponized. I mean, we obviously saw that with your dad. Your dad was president of the United States. Uh, and there were people manipulating their positions, even though he's probably the most powerful man in the in the world. Uh, they still have the ability to undermine him, spy on him, and do all the things he did. Now, when you see you see uh, Elon with these Twitter files, these releases, um, it has to be at least a moment of vindication for you that yeah, we're not the crazies they are. Like like you said before. Everything we were told was a conspiracy theory turned out to be correct. It turned out we found out yesterday that Adam Schiff and his team actually were emailing Twitter people to ban a journalist, Paul Sperry, who conveniently was exposing the spying operation on your dad. I mean, this is like third world crap yeah. in live time. Well, to show you just how dishonest Adam Schiff actually is, and I've been saying this for a while, and I testified before him for like nine or 11 hours or something like that. It, you know, it was so outrageous. The ask was so asinine that even the people at Twitter, even the leftist overlords at Twitter at the time were like, yeah, that's a little too far. We can't do that. Like, even they couldn't do that. And they, <laughs> threw, you know, they threw me off for making statements. They've thrown uh, plenty of conservatives for, you know, conspiracy theories that weren't conspiracy theories. They were always logical. I, the, the one I use most, because it's so obvious 
was like the Wuhan lab leak theory, right? Like, of course <laughs> it came from there. And yet, if you said that it came from there, like, you were thrown off as, like, no, no, no. We're, it, it came from the wet market seven feet outside of the lab, Dan. It's definitely not from the lab that studies the exact virus in question. It, it definitely didn't come from that. And if you were a doctor, like, you'd lose tenure for saying what was always the most plausible answer. So, you know, it's, it's been vindicating in the sense that it's like, you know, for years you're having to fight back. You're like, no, I'm not actually crazy. Uh, but it's not in the sense that they still got what they wanted, Dan. That's the problem. You know, like, Don, you know, the I, I, I they think what they want. Two years later, they admit that it was wrong. But guess what? They're, they're, they're in the driver's seat. They get everything no, they you're wanted. Right. And legacy media has helped that as well because there's no mea culpa. There's no... We're going to reassess oh, no. the way they do oh. things. If they do, it's all fake. Oh. They get what they want. They they don't even apologize. They just don't talk about it anymore. And we're supposed to pretend like you know we, we have actual you know actual fair media in our country. Like it's insane. Like you know all the things we'd love to believe about America, all the things that you and I grew up believing about our country and how great it was. Like honestly, a lot of it's a lie because of this sort of stuff. Because of the actual control. You know, the president. If it's a conservative president doesn't have the power uh, that you think the presidency entails because there can be so many unelected officials in government that can just stymie whatever it is that they want to do because they are on the other side and not acting in, uh, you know, based on the will of the people. And that's scary stuff. No, you're right. We're talking to Don Trump Jr. again, host of the new podcast on Rumble, Triggered, starting January 23rd. Don, you, you, you just kind of nailed it with the Wuhan lab thing. I always think to myself, if I was an alien with no knowledge of Earth, and I took a quick course in the language. And I came down here and I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, you just had this viral outbreak all over the globe. Looks kind of serious. And then someone comes up to you with, you have no idea about political agendas or anything. You go, yeah, and listen, there's a very powerful government that has a lab that has expertise in this type of virus. It's run by a bunch of deranged socialists. They've had leaks from there before. The leak and where the virus started was right around that area. A bunch of people got sick there and the government got caught lying about it. Or it came from a pangolin no one can find. The aliens like, what are you freaking humans, idiots? Of course it came from the lab. And you're right. Like that was an example of the power these platforms had that guys like you and me who are sane and my audience were like, wait, we're the nut jobs? Like even John Stewart, yeah. if you remember that late night appearance, who's no yeah, conservative at all, was like, "Are you kidding? Of course, this damn thing's from a lab." Doc. But like, but people couldn't even say that. Doctors couldn't say that because if they did, there were actual consequences. It wasn't like I disagree with you. Like there would be punitive, financial, ten-year yeah. uh, consequences, whatever it may be, and that's the problem. That that's why what's been driving society right now. You know, you and I, like, honestly, at this point for me, like, when they try to cancel me, it actually makes us stronger in a certain way, right? Because it's like, yeah. we, we have enough other ways to get it out there. Like, unless there's some sort of universal cancellation, they can almost not do it. But, like, you know, if you're a parent, uh, you know, who was labeled a domestic terrorist because you were concerned about, you know, the indoctrination of critical race theory and all the other trans nonsense that they're pushing on our kids in school, you said something, you're labeled a domestic terrorist. Uh, people, you, you could lose your job. They were, you know, the same people complaining, uh, you know, that you mentioned their name on the thing were doxing people that are not in the public eye who would, you know, just, again, use common sense. Occam's razor, like, the, you know, the most plausible answer is probably yeah. the most likely answer, right? Like, these sorts yeah. of things. These people were fearing for their careers, for their families, for their lives. Uh, and, and, like, apparently that's okay. Now, if we did it to the other side, 
it would be the end of democracy. That's all you'd hear about. But when they did it to us for years, it's now proven. It's like, oh, crickets. Nothing, nothing to see yeah. here. Who cares? You know, again, that's why we have to go so hard. That's why I wanted to be out there talking about it. Because, again, it still exists. Maybe it's getting a little bit better. Maybe Twitter changed that a little bit. But those social consequences still exist. We have to make it okay for people to be able to have conversation, to have different ideas, uh, to not say, well, I have to mutate my idea to make it okay so that I don't lose my job. That, that doesn't work. Not in America. That's communist China stuff. Uh, yeah. and, and Don, so, you know, for me, I, I, yeah. I feel like I've been one of those voices that just unafraid to say these things. And hopefully that brings other people out. <laughs> I know. You know, I was having a uh, dinner with your brother, uh, Eric, and we were talking and uh, <laughs> Eric was like, oh, yeah, Donald, go for it. Donald, go right for it on Instagram or Twitter. I love that about you, too. You're one of the best followers on social. But I think I really do think things are changing. It's not me uh, trying to signal virtue or be unnecessarily optimistic between true social, your dad's platform, the growth of rumble, um, you know, millions and millions of users, other platforms out there as well. Um, I do see a sea change uh, happening. I think a lot of people feel the way you do with your new podcast on rumble that, you know what? I'll just, uh, I may play ball over there once in a while with YouTube, but my home is going to be something different. Cause I know I'll eventually be banned by these lefty platforms. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Uh, I, I think that's right. I mean, if there was ever a light at the end of the tunnel, it would, you know, we're starting We're starting to see it. Uh, you know, again, I think we're winning some of those battles. I think even people who don't agree with us politically or with our ideas are looking at sort of what went on and saying, holy crap, like, you know, they, they're – you know, there are a people. There are a few people on the left that can be intellectually honest enough to be like, "Oh my God, if this went the other way, like, it, it would be, uh, you know, nuclear option type of stuff." And so, you know, I, I do feel good about it. I mean, we're. I think we're still at the leading edge of it. I think we have to go a long way. I mean, don't forget. Do you think what happened, Dan, at Twitter was any different than what's happening at no. Facebook, you know, no. Instagram, Med, you know, however, you, YouTube, certainly. And and by the way, but more importantly. Do you think what happened at Twitter was that different than what was happening in every newsroom in America, Dan? That's the that's real a, thing. That's a great point. And that's the, that's Don, what no one's talking about. Like, sure, it happens at social. We're used to it. We know everyone that's been thrown off or in Facebook jail for saying you like Trump. But, like, the reality is that same stuff and those same beliefs were happening in every newsroom in America. And I'd love to see those files someday because uh, I guarantee you, uh, it's ugly and it would be shocking. It would make yeah. Mao blush. No, I would too. As a great op in the Wall Street Journal just uh, popped a couple minutes ago talking about a potential class action lawsuit to expose these other companies. Well, Don, I'm, I'm out of time. I want everyone to please, if you would, with respect, go out and make sure you keep your eye on Don Trump Jr.'s new podcast on Rumble, launching January 23rd, a couple episodes a week. He's going to get the best guests. You know that. Uh, Don's always been a warrior with us. Don Trump Jr., as always, thank you for your time, sir. We really appreciate it. Good to be with you, my friend. You got it. Folks, he just goes for it. That's what I love about Don. Don don't, <laughs> Don don't mess around. Right, Jim? Jim's on say, When Don's got something to say, Don's going to say it. I love that about him. That was Donald Trump Jr. Catch his podcast, Triggered, on Rumble. Up next, we talk with Dan Horowitz. Let's hear from our next sponsor first. Listen, you like to drop those leftover pandemic pounds, but how sick are you of all the ads for weight loss pills and fad diets? A healthy diet's the key, folks. Listen, I've been there and done that. 
It's a tried and true method. Exercise and a healthy diet. What's the staple of your healthy diet? It should be this, field of greens. Why? We don't get all our fruits and vegetables in every day. Everybody knows the macro and micronutrients in uh, fruits and vegetables are the key, the staple of a super healthy diet. You're not a fan. You don't have time to cook. Here's the answer. Field of greens. This is wild berry. It's Paula's favorite. Uh, mine as well. Lemon lime is really good. I also like the original. Field of greens. It's a science-backed formula of specific fruits and vegetables you won't find in any other product. We know what proper nutrition does for your health. It's the key. And Field of Greens is the only brand I use backed by a better health promise. Yes, with good nutrition, you'll look and feel healthier fast, but the greater proof comes with your next checkup when your doctor says, wow, what are you doing here? Keep it up. Let's get started today with 15% off your first order. I am an enormous fan of this stuff. Just look at the list of healthy, wholesome fruits and vegetables in the back. You're not, there's no way you'll be able to eat all these in one day. Go to BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan. Pick up Field of Greens today. That's BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Use promo code Dan. Folks, I'm 48, and I'll tell you, outside of some, some uh, nicks and knacks and a couple of arthritis, but I've never felt better. I feel great, and this is the staple of my diet. I wouldn't uh, speak about it as strongly as I do if I didn't believe that. Here's Dan Horowitz talking about how the group of 20 Republican holdouts helped America and advance conservatism and also about a number of things going on with COVID, the vaccine, Paxlovid, and potentially another scandal coming up. Don't miss this. And one of our favorite guests is back. And from what I can see, appears back on Twitter as well. He is at RM Conservative, our good friend Dan Horowitz. Dan, welcome back to the show. Hey, how about it? Happy New Year. What a way to start. I, I, I knew, you know, I saw you were back and uh, I just went to check, make sure you hadn't been banned again for God forbid, speaking <laughs> the truth about COVID. I want to get to COVID and the vax and Paxlovid and your recent story in a minute. But first, I wanted to cover your other great story because you're so good at this. I addressed it yesterday, your story at the blaze about the 20 patriots up on Capitol Hill who stuck to their guns in the speaker's race. And this how this committed minority may have provided a blueprint for the conservative movement going forward to take our party, that's right, our party, back from the establishment hacks. Describe if you could, one, there were two takeaways I had from the piece, how this is instructional for a committed minority. And then second, how they fake it in our primaries and so the numbers up on the hill get kind of skewed, if you would. Sure, sure. So, I mean, the catchphrase is, shooting the hostage. And obviously we mean that metaphorically, but we were never willing to do that. We were never willing to take it to the next level. It's always a matter of, yeah, we're always kind of the minority. Most Republicans aren't like us. And this is just how it is. Um, but the reality is the overwhelming majority of Republican voters who vote for Republicans and not Democrats vote because they share our values, not the K Street, Wall Street, globalist whatever these guys, the Mitch McConnell game that they've been playing for so many years. But the problem is people always have treated the Republican Party like a brother or a friend rather than the slave. We get on their plantation rather than them uh, moving to our plantation. And I think that's the point. They were willing to use leverage, not access. Oh, I want access to the biggest Republican leaders. No, I'm going to use the leverage, whether it's a primary, whether it's a speaker's election, whether it's holding up a policy, a bill, you've got to be willing to have an uncomfortable moment that might create temporary chaos, which, by the way, no one even remembers it. 
at least not for the bad, maybe for the good. It's like we're going on with life. There's new stories. We always knew this would happen. We would recover. We could have gone another few days doing that as well. And they secured, I don't want to exaggerate, it's not the promised land, but it's at least the tools to get our foot in the door. To we, We've never had this much leverage to force a brinkmanship on government spending bills, debt ceilings, farm bills, um, you know, proposing embarrassing, well, amendments and votes that the GOP might find embarrassing. See, typically, it's carefully crafted theater. They indulge our talking points very superficially, but then they ensure that it's never a choice on the menu. So it's kind of this, or but the Democrats, or you know, the Democrats are going to win. That, that's all they say. Yeah. Here, our yeah. guys can now force vote. We can't for- guarantee outcomes, but you know what? It either it creates a, a, a convert-or-die moment. Either they go along with us, or, well, we take the loincloth away, and they will be marked as uh, you know, being against. Like, for example, if we now we could force a bill on getting rid of pharma liability. This is something that the GOP would not have done on their own, and we'll see where they vote. And Dan, we're talking to Dan Horowitz. He's at RM Conservative, back on Twitter, uh, at RM Conservative. Dan, are we already seeing the fruits of this? Uh, just in the last few days, rules package passed. Vax mandate from the Pentagon, gone. Omar, Swalwell, and Schiff booted off their committees. Resolution passed, creating the subcommittee on weaponization of government. Like you, I'm always skeptical. We can revert back to the mean later. But are we not already seeing the results of Kevin McCarthy, who is not a conservative, but now being forced, based on what the 20 Patriots did, he's being forced to do things that the conservative grassroots wants. And with the understanding that they can always come back and will come back and are committed and don't care about the negative press from so-called conservative media and the liberal media, and they're willing to do it, and they have the motion to vacate. So the tool is still there, but we are seeing that. We're seeing more conservatives get on committees, um, bump people like Dan Crenshaw, a Freedom Caucus member, bumped him for Homeland Security chair. And, you know, we do have our independent subcommittee that's going to be populated by people like Chip Roy, Thomas Massey, Dan Bishop, these guys. So it is coming along. But I think it's important your audience understands the backdrop to this, the background, because, you know, I was fighting with this rules issue several months ago. Some of these other, uh, you know, conservative vanguards seem to be experts at it, but didn't understand the genesis of this. It's kind of like focusing on Ukraine in 2022, but not 2014. So. (laughs) Basically, what happened was in the summer, uh, the Freedom Caucus came to McCarthy and was like, look, we we can't continue the same Boehner nonsense. You know, we got to empower individual members to bring amendments and open process. And they had some of these other things. I'm talking about even before conservatives were given a seat at the table. These just bare bones rules that even Democrats should have supported. And I'll be honest with you, it was talk to the hands. I mean, they didn't they didn't even really secure a meeting. They didn't gain any progress. It wasn't until they only won surprisingly a narrow majority and a bunch of guys, five of them said, we are not going to vote for you. That suddenly he started changing. Well, I'll give you this. I'll give you that. And it's important to remember they had these conference votes, you know, a private conference vote, all 222 members. And they voted on things. They voted on leadership. They voted on rules. They couldn't even get a quarter 
of the conference to ban earmarks, which they already successfully did under Boehner, but it was undone by Pelosi just to reinstate that previously plowed ground. I mean, so this is what typically happens. We have 30, 40 guys. We get voted down and we're happy with it. But but they were afraid in the past. They were, I want to get to, I'm running out of time. I want to get to other stuff. I don't mean to cut you off, but so what you were saying in the past is they were, even the 30 or 40 in the past who may have been identified conservatives in the Republican caucus would, would, would make threats, but they were idle, correct? That they wouldn't do anything about it. They again would just go online. Okay. I just, I, I, your, your article's amazing. It's in yesterday's show notes, folks. What's the title? Do you remember the title? Yes. It's a blaze. It's, um. Uh, forgive me, I don't have it off the top of my head. It's in yesterday's newsletter, folks. It's really good. But Dan, you've got an article out today about Paxlovid. You have been all over COVID-19, the vaccine, the manipulation of science. Uh, give us the lowdown on Paxlovid. Do you think this is going to be another medical uh, science scandal moving forward? What, what was? I didn't get a chance to read the piece. I just saw it pop before you came on the air. Sure. The, the, the problem is that this is not a sexy issue like guns, taxes and abortion that conservatives are used to. But it's an issue we better get familiar with. Growing up, you know, I was always like, man, I'm happy I'm in America. I could trust the FDA, the drugs. You know, we, right. we know what we're putting into our bodies. But this is a systemic problem we now see that if you have a medical product that's viewed as a spirit of the age item, it's treated like a spirit of the age item and not like medicine and science. Um, so it's kind of like the same idea that they'll cut someone's balls off, literally. I mean, you'll have these big you know, doctors saying, <laughs> we're going to do chemical castration. And they'll look you in, in, in the face, you know, with a straight face. Same thing we see with the vaccine. So I'm raising awareness that Pfizer's other product, which is Paxlovid, so there's 32 common drug contraindications. And there's, there's papers out. I cited one, but there's actually several that people have serious kidney damage from – seemingly the doctors and pharmacists didn't deal with the contraindications and it seems like it creates a rebound effect. It seems like it's has a risk of creating blood clots. It's funny that everything seems to do that, that they put out. And that got me thinking like, wait a minute, we just spent first 10.6 billion. And then now we wrote them another $2 billion check. And the only data we have is from the manufacturer itself, just like with the vaccines. This is this is some serious money. And, you know, they're going to earn 22 billion this year on Paxlovid. Uh, just to give your listeners a, a sense of uh, uh, proportion, Home Depot's takeaway income, their, their net earnings was about 16.4 billion. Uh, it's the largest uh, hardware company in the world. So that's serious money off of human experimentation. This is mixed with an AIDS drug. We don't know a lot about this, and I'm starting to wonder, not wonder, I know this drug is a problem, but how bad is it? And these are the sorts of things that this GOP House, the Select Subcommittee on Coronavirus, needs to investigate. Yeah, they do. Dan's article from yesterday, by the way, Jim uh, looked it up, is uh, 20 House Patriots provide the blueprint for conservatives to uh, reassert control over the GOP. That's at theblaze.com. You can check that out. Dan, um, the vaccine. Uh, obviously, a lot of people are concerned, me included. We have seen cases of myocarditis develop, swelling of the heart muscle tissue. Um, I just read during the break, because it just popped, a new Wall Street Journal op-ed, I think Casey Mulligan wrote it, talking about non-COVID excess deaths. 
In other words, how deaths above the mean from the last few years seem to be elevated, even if they're non-COVID related. Now, some of that could be to suicides from the mental health problems we cause through these school lockdowns. But this is really concerning stuff. My question to you is, having studied the vaccine and really looked at the data, unlike, you know, quote, scientists out there who ignore people like you and try to ban you, do you think this problem longitudinally with the myocarditis and the died suddenly phenomenon tragedy is, is going to get worse? You know, the myocarditis is just the tip of the iceberg. That's what the media has allowed out, um, you know, pretty relatively early. I mean, this is two years worth of stuff. It's not any one anecdote or data point. Um, I, I was I was scared to bore to bore my audience. So you know, last week I focused on other things, but really there's not a single day that goes by where there aren't multiple safety signal studies, data points that come out that each one alone would have been enough yesteryear to pull this product from the market and launch an investigation. But we just go on. I mean, just two of them. You had the last two weeks in England and Wales. Uh, the excess deaths are 20.7% above the five-year average. And that's already in the UK media. Now they're saying they don't know what caused it. But here's the thing. When you look at the timing, the mechanism of action, the case studies, the academic studies, theirs, VSAFE, surveys, you know, different, there's tons of Rasmussen, we have these Saudi surveys, um, you have medical insurance billing, life insurance data, disability. I mean, it all paints the same picture. This would be enough to convict an individual for for a criminal act, you know, the amount of circumstantial evidence we have, um, you know, there, there was a study uh, that was just published last week from the American Heart Association's publication Circulation, Harvard researchers, they found in a group of kids that had myocarditis, there were 436 billion um, spikes floating in their blood plasma. So th- that's the big wow. part that we've learned. It, the mRNA goes forever potentially it goes all over your body and it's an unlimited amount it was a good idea to have your body maybe produce certain things but the dangerous thing is they uh moderna announced yesterday they want to do this with heart attack medication with melanoma cancer stuff but what we've learned is what we've learned is again it sounds nice have your body produce things that grow the heart muscle or whatever but there's nothing that's good in infinite quantities and this thing is a big problem, and it's not even like we could say, yeah, COVID's over. It's not just about COVID. It's about we're in a new era of biomedical experimentation that they could just get away with putting stuff in billions of people's bodies when prima facie there's problems. I mean, you just have today, it's all over the place, a Taiwanese study um, in the European Journal of Pediatrics that 17% of the high school Kids, mainly boys, in their survey, 17% experienced at least some sort of cardiac side effect from the second dose of, of Pfizer, meaning chest tightness, um, chest pain, um, irregular heartbeat, uh, maybe shortness of breath. I mean, hopefully not all 17% will have problems down the road, but we don't know that. We, if we have this yeah. much fire and then you see such a greater cohort of smoke, I mean, that, that ain't good. Yeah, Dan, I, I got to run. Unfortunately, we, I'm, I'm like a minute over, but I love having you. I wanted you to finish your thought on that. He's back on Twitter, Dan Horowitz. If you want more of the content you just heard, go to at RM Conservative. Dan, always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for joining us today. Take care. God bless. You got it, folks.
I'll get into the victory thing. More victories coming up next. We'll be right back. That was Dan Horowitz. Up next is John Solomon. We'll get to that in a second, but let me tell you about our next sponsor first. Folks, you know I'm a firearms guy. You know how much I love my Henry repeating arms. HenryUSA.com. That's the website. I own a few Henry uh, rifles. I love them. I have the 4570 and the 44 carbine, the all-weather finish. I got a new one recently. They're made with the finest craftsmanship I've ever seen. You got to check them out. Mine were accurate right out of the box. These rifles take a beating. They've been reliable and spot-on accurate for me. They're a family-owned business at Henry. Their guns are made in America. They won't be made at all. They're real patriots there, too. They give back to our military veterans, law enforcement. They donate a lot of money to support the Second Amendment, uh, the Second Amendment and help pass the shooting sports to future generations. There are more than 200 Henry rifles and shotguns to choose from with a wide variety of both calibers and finishes. Each one is backed by a lifetime warranty, and they offer award-winning customer service. Make sure you visit their website, henryusa.com, to order a free catalog. It comes with decals, free decals on a list of dealers in your area. Go today, henryusa.com, henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals. Henryusa.com to learn more about this great American company. Here's John Solomon breaking down the real Biden scandal. Is he a foreign agent? Nobody's done better reporting than John Solomon. Check this out. All right. Now, if there is a guy who has led the way with the Russia hoax, the impeachment stuff, Ukrainian debacles and all that, I mean, a guy whose reporting has been kind of a lodestar for a lot of people out there. By the way, whether they'll admit it or not, I admit it because I'm proud to say it is uh, it's John Solomon. Uh, That's why I love his site. Just the news. It's awesome. John, uh, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Yeah. Great to be with you, Dan. So, John, we need uh, how, how you're not here more often is just a shame. We use your pieces all the time on your site. You have great oh, reporters you. over there. Yeah, you really broke a lot of this wide open. And one of the pieces we focused on yesterday uh, is this classified document scandal. And I believe, John, that it is a rather small scandal in the bigger scheme of things that I believe and uh, I believe Biden was a foreign agent. Uh, I don't mean like 007 CIA. I mean, right. it in the economic sense of a principal agent problem in that. There was money changing hands uh, filtered through his son that was clearly meant to influence Biden. I mean, Hunter Biden's admitted as such. Now, your piece yesterday that I covered in The Hill where you wrote about the Soros connection in Ukraine is really stunning uh, because it really speaks to this bigger problem, how there were Ukrainian interests to arm and get money to Ukraine way before the war by people like Kalaniuk and others who were lobbying for this, Daria Kalaniuk. And those were Biden interests too, interests as his son was on the payroll of a Ukrainian company. Yeah, listen, all of the uh, foreign ties are troubling now because you see so many instances where Joe Biden each and every time acts in the interest of his son's clients. And let's just go through some of them that we now we now see. The most recent one, this just happened in the last year. Uh, Joe Biden works for the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, he is a guest professor there. He gets $911,000 for two years of very light work, basically lending his name to a center. That university gets a ton of Chinese money. As soon as they get that Chinese money, what are they doing? They're lobbying the Joe Biden administration to shut down the FBI's main counter-espionage program. And before long, boom, uh, the um, Merrick Garland goes and he shuts down the very program that, by the way, Chris Ray, the FBI director, mm-hmm. says is so important. In fact, less than two weeks after Joe Biden's 
old employer, which was flush with Chinese cash, makes the request, puts puts their letter public. Merrick Garland complies and shuts down a very important counter espionage program for the FBI trying to keep Chinese spies out of American academia. That pattern goes on and on and on. Right. We go back to Ukraine. As you remember, the prosecutor there uh, is fired by Joe Biden. He admits it on tape, so it isn't in doubt, uh, at a time when he's investigating Hunter Biden's um, program for corruption. What do the State Department officials privately say in their private emails? Oh, Hunter Biden undercut uh, the uh, Obama administration's entire efforts to fight corruption in Ukraine. That's a pretty extraordinary email exchange that we've made public in the last few months. Everywhere you go, you see Joe Biden taking an action that seems to align with the moneyed interests that uh, Hunter Biden uh, was pursuing at the time and collecting cash from. And people will ask, is it a coincidence? Maybe it's just serendipity, right? Well, here's something right. I want to point out. <laughs> this is really important. From the moment Joe Biden got in and started measuring the curtains in the vice president's office of the White House in 2010, he's in just a year and as a White House uh, a member of the Obama White House. He is talking to his son and their business partners. I want to learn about my earnings potential. I want to learn how much money I can make. By 2016, the language has changed from earning potential to wealth creation. He was putting pressure on his son and their business partners to figure out how he, a lifelong servant, was going to get rich. And it's that pressure and those conversations that lead Hunter Biden to China, Russia, Ukraine, all the places that we're now talking about and know that the family has received money. Such a shocking piece of information, John. Honestly, I forgot to include in yesterday's show about them shutting down the espionage program uh, against, against the Chinese as, 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 as Hunter has these shady deals going. I, I had totally neglected to throw that in. There was so much information on yesterday's show. I've been so focused on Ukraine. Uh, the premise of yesterday's show, just to sum up, and why we wanted you so badly, was that the classified documents um, allegedly here found in the Penn-Biden Center, uh, yep. according to multiple reports, involved Ukraine and other they countries did. as well. And, and, and John, as you so accurately uh, wrote about in your reporting at the Hill before they went nuts, but that's a whole other story, and now you're doing a better website. Um, you wrote there uh, about Ukraine. Ukraine was a yeah. piggy bank. It was a it piggy was. bank for lobbyists. It was a piggy bank for politicians and influence peddlers because you had a lot of things going on. Uh, you had pro-Russia forces versus pro-European forces. You had different color revolutions. It was a piggy bank and it was treated as a piggy bank. My theory here is that the Biden team understood early on when he was the vice president that he wanted that. He wanted to be the point man there because he wanted a piece of that action and deputized his son Hunter to go do that. And, and that's what I believe they may be hiding in a lot of these documents. And I believe someone may have flipped on them. There's no way they found these documents by accident. I think someone in this inner circle in either a Farah or a tax evasion case flipped on them here. Your, your thoughts on, on all of that? That's a great question, because, listen, the story just doesn't seem to add up. Who hires expensive lawyers to go clean out their office? You hire a moving company or a cleaning company. You don't hire $800 an hour lawyers to go uh, clean up your office, and they just happen to find classified documents. And it happens to be just before Republicans are about to take over. So there's a lot of suspicion about what really is the genesis for the discovery of these documents, which by the year, by all descriptions have been missing by six years by the time they're discovered, right? They, uh, Biden's been out of office for six years. So did he take him with him? Did he go get him later from the National Archives to keep him away from people? When I started writing those stories at the Hill in 2019, those are questions that we're trying to get answered. And here's the frustrating part. 
Republicans have control of the House. They have subpoena authority. They have investigative powers. They no longer have to rely on the Democrats. The National Archives, which, by the way, was blabbing all the time about every revelation involving Donald Trump, has been completely mum. They just told James Comer today, we can't answer your questions unless the Justice Department gives us permission. Now, they didn't have that same problem when they want to blab about Donald Trump and classified documents, but now they have clammed up and it's going to be the first of many signs that Republicans are going to have to extract information through the power of subpoena and through compelling people because the uh, the deep bureaucracy of the uh, government is going to align itself one more time with Joe Biden. Absolutely. John, I've got a theory on, on Ukraine, Obama, Biden, uh, Trump and Soros, how he ties into all this. I'd love to get your sure. take on it, being that a lot of my theory was generated from your work. So uh, Donald Trump, whether it was through Mike Flynn or Paul Manafort, who both had experience in this space, Manafort knew what was going on in Ukraine because he was working over there. Uh, you know, uh, uh, whether you like that he was working over there or not, it's a whole other. But he knew the region. So Trump is probably aware of the Ukrainian piggy bank problem and pro-Russia and pro-European sides in Ukraine cashing in in the U.S. and influence peddling, right? Uh, it must have come up to him at some point when he gets in the White House that, hey, there was a problem here. The reason Biden didn't run against you is because the Obama-Biden White House was knee-deep in this. His son was on the payroll over there. So it appears they may have freaked out. And I think that's one of the, um, one of the, the probably the genesis behind the Ukrainian role in the Russia hoax. Key Ukrainians pitched this black ledger narrative that turned out to be fake that Paul Manafort, Trump's campaign manager, was taking these off the book payments. That was that was a was it Teleshenko? Who was someone created that fictitious narrative? And that's what started. It was a key component of the Russia hoax. The Ukrainians, some of them wanted Trump out, I believe, because Trump knew what was going on through Manafort and they were afraid this was all going to be discovered. Well, here's one of the amazing things. In the testimonies I was able to get from the Mueller investigation, you see uh, Rick Gates, Paul Manafort's right-hand man, who ultimately becomes a state witness against Paul Manafort. But he was very helpful and very trusted by the FBI. I think Rick Gates gave a very honest assessment of what Paul Manafort was doing. He tells the FBI immediately, hey, that black ledger is completely a fake. The FBI knew from the beginning, when it began its investigation of Paul Manafort, before it ever went to trial with Paul Manafort, that the key piece of evidence leaked to the New York Times to start the Ukraine uh, scandal in uh, 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 the beginning of the Trump presidency was a fake document, fake evidence created in a country where there's lots of corruption. Ukraine is a very corrupt country. And if you go back, you can go further back to 2015. Hillary Clinton's campaign tested all of her scandals. This is in my book, um, Fallout. Uh, in 2015, Hillary Clinton thought for sure her email scandal was going to be the greatest impediment to her winning the presidency and defeating Donald Trump. It turned out that when they did the polling, it wasn't that. It was the fact that she and her husband had so many dirty cash ties to Russia and to Vladimir Putin, uh, basically the early revelations from Peter Schweitzer's incredible book. And so they set out after getting that polling data to try to hang a Russia shingle on uh, Donald Trump. And that goes through Ukraine. It goes through uh, Christopher Steele. The entire operation to make Donald Trump look like a Russian stooge was designed to 
distract attention from Hillary Clinton. And when I wrote that book, we did not yet know about the intercept that we now know about where the U.S. government hears Hillary Clinton is setting up and going to hang a shingle on Donald Trump, a fake story on that. We only learned about that recently, but we already knew from interviews and from uh, the polling data that I was able to obtain in my book that Hillary Clinton was looking to contrive a Russia scandal on Donald Trump to deflect attention from her own Russian liabilities that showed up in that poll. And I think that is the beginning of the six year evolution, Russia to Ukraine, Ukraine to whatever else they throw at Donald Trump. They were constantly trying to hide their own problems in Ukraine and Russia by creating a fake scandal for Republicans. We're talking to John Solomon. The book is Fallout. Is that right, John? Uh, yes, Fallout? it is. Yeah, a couple of years well, old now. Folks, check still that relevant, out. I hope. Uh, I, my, you know, my I wrote a book called Follow the Money. The first chapter is called Insane in Ukraine. The book was 3,000 <laughs> yesterday on one of those, which is a lot for a book that's four years old. Because I told you this, uh, what, the point I was trying to make yesterday was, was not even to sell money. I don't really care. I told people, check it out of the library. It doesn't matter to me. point I was trying right. to make is guys like you and me and and Sarah and Greg and, and, yeah. and Jeff Carlson and others and Technofog on Twitter. We knew about this stuff four years ago. None of this yeah. is new. That the classified documents he allegedly has were about Ukraine. It's not surprising to anyone who realizes Biden had a lot to hide in Ukraine. The last right. question I have for you, because this is an angle, as, as far as I know, of, of credible guys with a following, you're the only one I know who's really covered this in detail. There's a huge Soros angle to all of this. And no, it's yeah. not a conspiracy theory. Soros was operating in Ukraine. He had a business rival, Dmitry Fertash, over there. Soros yep. had this group that his group was funding called Ant AC. The executive right. director is a woman by the name of Daria Kalania. She's a yep. big, she's on Fox even to this day, advocating for arming Ukraine. She's working with Soros's group. Kalaniuk is alleged to have met in the White House in December, I believe, of 2015, with the whistleblower in the impeachment case about the whole Ukraine thing. In other words, like Soros connected people are knee deep in this whole thing to get rid of Trump. Well, as, as you rightly said, uh, said uh, Ukraine is a piggy bank for Democrats nationally. And Hillary Clinton's largest funder for her campaign was a uh, interested in Ukraine and the Ukrainian oligarch George Soros, the largest investor in all liberal causes in American history, uh, is uh, got huge business interests in Ukraine, wanting to move in with natural gas and other investments, which he announced in 2015. Of course, uh, Hunter Biden uh, gets uh, hooked up with the Ukrainian oligarch Zolchevsky. That's the whole Burisma scandal. That was in danger of being exposed in 2019 when I did my work. And of course, Peter Schweitzer had done some earlier work with his book. I think the big storyline of 2023, Dan, is going to be, we're going to go back now. We have new documents that we've been able to force out of the State Department through litigation. The testimony that key witnesses gave in the impeachment trial, we're going to be able to show was contrived. It wasn't true. And it's going to be remarkable because the documents of the agencies are going to undercut the actual witnesses. But we were not given an honest story during the impeachment trial. And the question is, why? Because if we had gotten the honest story, we would have followed that money all the way back to the Soroses and the Victor Pinchuks and the Zolchevskis who were enriching the Democratic Party in hopes of one day getting the favors in return when they were in power. Pinchuk. And I believe that's the guy when the 
uh, the Clinton team was questioned about her meetings with uh, Pinchuk. The Clinton team ducked and pretend they didn't until they discovered that they had a dinner or something. I, I believe that was the same. There was some Washington Examiner reporting, I, I think, right. on that specific material. John, um, out of time, Jim, we're talking to John Solomon, justthenews.com. It's probably, in my opinion, we use it all the time, folks. You see me citing it. One of the best sites out there. His book is Fallout couple years old, but it's evergreen and it's new again with everything going on about Ukraine and Biden and hiding these materials. John, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Great honor to be on with you, Dan. Thank you. You got it, buddy. Take care. I'm telling you, folks, I, my books would have not been my books without John's work. He's extensively footnoted in my books for that reason. That was John Solomon. Up next is Congressman Chip Roy, one of the good guys. This is a fiery one right here. You're going to like this. Let me tell you about our final sponsor first. Birch Gold, B-I-R-C-H. Ladies and gentlemen, gold has been a hedge against inflation for a long time. I've been buying gold since I'm a kid. I love gold. It's, it, it, folks, listen, don't let inflation eat away the value of your wallet or your bank account. You know the Biden administration, they feel vindicated now. They're going to spend more money. You need to secure your savings. When you finally had enough of the games, government's playing with your savings and retirements, diversify into gold like I do with Birch Gold. I buy gold for over 5,000 years. Gold has withstood inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and stock market crashes. And here's the great news. You can still get it. In fact, you can own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Dan, my first name, to 989898 to claim your free information kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metal specialists. They'll hold your hand through the entire process. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, I'm a customer, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. Birch Gold is who I trust to protect my future and yours. Text Dan to 989898 today. Text Dan to 989898 today. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Message and data rates apply. Thanks, Birch Gold. Here's Chip Roy. He was fresh off a big win in the vote for speaker here, telling us uh, about what went on behind the scenes and what's the path forward now, path forward now that we got a more conservative Congress. And we got some uh, concessions from the speaker's office. It's a great interview. Take a listen. It is a great honor. Uh, and I mean that. I don't use that word loosely. To welcome back to the show a warrior for the conservative cause uh, and liberty and freedom. A good man. One of the 20 holdouts who got us a better Congress uh, moving forward. A Republican congressman from Texas, Chip Roy. Uh, congressman, thanks a lot for everything you did. It's such a pleasure to welcome you back to the show. Dan, first of all, thanks for all of your uh, great overall support and uh, messaging throughout this and making sure people understood what's going on. And, uh, and look, I think we moved the ball forward, but thanks for everything you do. Well, it's my absolute pleasure. It was a very small thing I did. You guys had to go on the record and tough it out despite – uh, listen, I, I never ran for, I ran in one. I ran for Congress and got a flavor for what it's like, but I never saw or dealt with what you deal with every day. And Congressman, um, I, you know, without having to give up any of the sordid details, I wouldn't put you on the spot, but just let the audience in a little bit. Like the pressure must have been incredible. I mean, you get, you got people knocking on your door constantly from lobbyists, from committee chairs to influence peddlers and everybody wants something from you. And it's really difficult up on the Hill to do what you and the other 20 did, which is to say, hey, we've got the world staring us down right now, but we've got the grassroots behind us. And the answer is no, until you guys can produce a set of rules that are going to give us a more conservative Congress. The pressure must have been incredible. 
Well, let's just say I've had weeks with more sleep. Uh, we were working pretty hard all through the week trying to get to some conclusion that would be good for the country, wherever that led. On the table was, of course, a different approach for the speaker, uh, but also on the table was getting to the reforms necessary to make sure the American people are protected. There are no guarantees. There are no 100 percent in all of this. All we can do is advance the ball as far as we can advance it and then use those tools to fight. Uh, we did take a lot of arrows. We took a lot of arrows from the establishment. We took a lot of arrows from uh, talking heads. Uh, we saw the tone shift quite a bit midweek. In fact, I've never seen a harder 180-degree turn when people started to see that the grassroots, and that's just the grassroots, a lot of people across the spectrum saying, you know what? These guys are down there giving speeches, fighting for what they believe in, and they're trying to change this place. And even if we don't agree with them fully, you know, God bless that we're actually having a debate with everybody in the chamber about where we should take this this body, this Congress, this government, and importantly, this country. I think we achieved yeah. some significant things, but the devil's in the details. We got to get a rules package passed tonight. We're working through details literally as I, as I just got off a call meeting with people. We're trying to continue to hash this all out. Yeah, that's we're talking to Congressman Chip Roy, one of the good guys, one of the 20 who brought us a more sane Congress moving forward. You know, Congressman, and I think your your tactics were efficient. You guys knew when to take the win. You got what you got. You got it and you moved on. Uh, you know, the other side, of, you know, I get it's time to move on and everything, but I'm not sure they really understood that. I mean, we had people on our side of the aisle throwing these nasty terms at terrorists, enemies. I mean, that's absurd. You're not convincing anyone. But explain to us the process now with the rules package. So uh, you've had a couple of uh, your colleagues on the Republican side, not necessarily the most conservative, do the weekend show route, um, already threatening to sabotage the rules package you and the 20 negotiated hard for. Uh, are they going to whip, you know, four or five more together to say, no, I doubt it. But it seems kind of weird that they were the ones saying, oh, my gosh, the minority is against the majority here, and now they're doing the same thing. Do you think the rules package is going to pass? How do you see it? Well, just meeting with the whip team, uh, my understanding is that we're probably going to get there. But, you know, look, we thought we are going to get there on the first vote on Friday night for the speaker, and, and we had to, had, to, had to have another vote. You never know for sure until the vote plays out. But we do believe yeah. that right now there's only one public opposition. That's Tony Gonzalez, my, my colleague from Texas. Uh, you'll have to ask him why. Uh, but the bottom line is right now we have no other single person that's publicly out there. And understand this for everybody listening. The rules package being voted on tonight has been out there for a couple of weeks because it was the thing that we've been working to negotiate towards since we put out our demands on December 8th, where we laid out all of the things that we thought were important. The one change was, of course, moving the motion to vacate to single person motion to vacate. The rest of the rules package is the same. All of the other pieces to this that, you're, that we've been talking about as part of our overall agreement to support the speaker was a commitment to actually carry out some of the things we outlined in our memo that we believe actually puts an exclamation point on the commitment to America. What is that? The spending restraint. Going into the debt ceiling fight and the, and the, and the spending fight next September, knowing that we should cap spending at FY22 levels to pump the brakes on all this inflationary garbage funding the woke bureaucracy. We also got the ability to have open amendments in, on the floor for appropriations to cut spending. That is a big deal. We haven't done that in years, and that will fundamentally empower us to go target bad spending. We got improvements with a commitment to have ideological representation on the committee so that we'd have more conservatives on committees. And importantly, we got 
commitment to have strong conservative slots on the powerful rules committee to ensure that we can throttle uh, bad bills, but importantly, throttle any abuses of these rules. If they try to waive the 72 hours, if they try to waive single subject, if they try to waive germaneness, we thought we could get to the right place. So a lot of good things. And finally, oh, by the way, the select subcommittee on the Ju uh, Judiciary Committee, my friend Jim Jordan is obviously the chairman of Judiciary. Uh, we're still working out the personnel on that subcommittee. We believe we've got it in a good spot to really ramp up our our uh, investigations of the federal uh, over, uh, you know, uh, bureaucracy. We're talking to Congressman Chip Roy, one of the 20 patriots who rescued the country from a disastrous rules package and brought us back to a more conservative Congress. Congressman, um, the Rules Committee, I know it's wonkery. You're probably more in tune to obviously not probably you are. You're up there. You have to live with it. But correct me if I'm wrong, why the Rules Committee is important. I've been trying to do some homework on this. And, you know, being that you live with it, you understand it a lot better than I do. I believe there are 13 members, right? Obviously, seven of which would be Republicans now. You guys wanted three seats. So if, if you needed then, uh, it, it, am, I, am I right? Am I get, is my math right here? So these three seats could then dictate and make sure that the demands you guys had were stuck to. Because if you're on the Rules Committee, they're going to need those three conservative Republicans to make sure any changes to the rules go through. Is it, if, if that's wrong, stop me and laugh at me. I, I, I won't take it personally. No, no, you just articulated that very well. I mean, just for the average listener out there, just understand. Like you have standing committees, right? Judiciary, energy and commerce, appropriations, and they go do their thing. They pass legislation after going through all the machinations, mark it up, vote on it. And then it goes to the rules committee for us to establish how and when it will get to the floor. The rules committee then makes the decisions about the structure, uh, how the votes will work, uh, how many votes there will be, how many amendments, and we get it to the floor in order to execute. For too long, the two-party system has been tightening that down so that it is less open and it's more tightly controlled. Now, look, I'll be honest. You and I both want conservative policy advanced. If we have really good conservative policy and there's tighter rules on it that allow us to get that through, you and I may not object as much. But at the end of the day, we need to broadly open it up. And we want to try to be consistent about opening up, but not so consistent in the sense that, oh, we're going to unilaterally disarm while Democrats, every time they're in power, just jam this crap through. We believe that on the appropriation side in particular, we should open up the ability of members to offer amendments to cut spending and then use the Rules Committee with the votes you just described, 13 members, nine Republicans, four Democrats. Of the nine, if you've got three solid conservative members on there, we could find a way to be able to hold the line if they tried to end run us on the waiving of rules, waiving the 72 hours to read the bill, waiving of single subject, or even try to jam something through that were particularly bad or unconstitutional or broke any agreements on spending. But that's what we're trying to do with respect to the Rules Committee. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You would think the wonkery would bore the listeners, but it's fascinating. I get so many Facebook messages from people who want to hear from you guys in the inside why is it like, why is this rules committee so important? I mean, people, you know, Congressman, people have lives. They, the people who build America, the, you know, the carpenters, you know, the pilots flying people around, the mechanics, they don't have time to read this crap. They, 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 they want to get to their kid's soccer game and fix your car and build this place. But it's, it's strange. Some of them are really fascinated because this is the first time they're hearing about a lot of stuff. It seemed like the, the, the uh, it's more establishment wing was obsessed with these rules committee seats. So I think you explained that well. But if you could explain this as well, uh, why is the amendments process during appropriations something you guys were going to the mat for? Why is it so was it so important to you all? 
Well, first of all, on your first point, I would note that it was really interesting with C-SPAN being able to freely be able to show what was going on on the floor because they had control yeah. of the cameras instead of the, the, the house because we were operating under, we didn't have rules in place. So it was kind of great. Like everybody got to see these close-up conversations. And it was really <laughs> sparking interest. Yeah. Now, here's what's important about that. The American people do care about the details. We don't give the American yeah. people enough credit. I know that our education system is broken and there's all these things, but the people who care, care. And to know yeah. how it works and to see what's happening is really important. We shook things up last week and the American people are glad. To your second point with respect to, uh, you know, what, what, uh, wait, what was your second question? Oh, the same. Was- <laughs> that, you know, it's funny. That happened to me last week on the radio. I lost my train of thought and I had to just, I'm like, I got to go to break, oh. folks. I totally forgot. You yeah. know what I love about this? How honest you are. You didn't fake it. He's like, hey, you yeah. know what? I just forget. That's, that's what I love about you. I asked you about the, the amendments process. The appropriations <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right. right. So the approach amendments, the reason that's important is this. We get a big appropriations bill. Let's say we're doing regular order and we put together an appropriations package and, and put it down there and it's defense spending. I want to be able to say, and we want everybody to be able to say, look, there's your bill. It's $800 billion of appropriations for defense. And there's money in there that funds woke uh, division X, or there's money in there for somebody's pet project back in their district. But maybe that's not as good as what we really need for bombers or bullets or, you know, uh, you know, training or something. So I want to be able to go in and cut it. I want to go and be able to say, wait, you've got the office of diversity and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to cut that. Or I want to be able to go in and say in a, in a uh, say, a Homeland Security bill, if they've got stuff in there that is, uh, you know, funding woke stuff or they maybe they put a bunch of money in to be, quote, for, uh, you know, enforcement, but they don't let you enforce the law. They just go fund more bureaucrats. I want to cut that. Like, I need to have the ability to offer those amendments on the floor and force people to vote on whether or not they think we should cut some of this garbage. And I think that's a really, really important thing to try to open this place up a bit. Awesome explanation. Get them on the record. Get them on the record. Congressman, I got about a minute left here. Do you think this is the start of something special? I, I, you know, I feel something. We've had it in the past. It kind of fizzled out. Tea Party, we got the BCA. We didn't stick to it. Um, but I feel like, you know, enough voters have been burned enough that they're kind of savvy to swampy talking points now and they're they're ready for a more conservative future. here. I think this is the start of something. Your your take on that. Well, Dan, I feel the same way. And I kind of felt it all this weekend. I, I, I actually had to stay here in the swamp uh, through the weekend because we had so much we were trying to do. And my family had gone home last Wednesday and I talked to them and I was getting, you know, calls from friends back home. But then just people when a few of us were yeah, one of my colleagues uh, and I, uh, Lauren Bobert, were meeting and having a lunch this weekend and a couple of other of my colleagues at the same thing. And the number of people that stopped us in a restaurant, you know, we're just wearing jeans and, a, you know, you know, T-shirt or sweater or something. And they've stopped us and they go, hey, thank you. Thanks for standing up for us. And, and I'm just telling you, it's not even just in, in Texas, not just in small town conservative Texas. The whole country are just begging for leadership to transform this institution, to speak for the people and stop doing what we've been doing. It's time to take our country back and stand up for America. And that's what we're going to try to do. Congressman Chip Roy, it is uh, really an honor to have you on the show. And uh, listen, I know you've been through a lot. You're a warrior, man. And uh, I know the conservatives who listen to this show so deeply appreciate what you guys did. I'm reading their feedback actually right now. So thanks for coming on. You're welcome back here anytime. Thank you, my friend. God bless you, my friend. Take care. Stay healthy. Stay well. Happy New Year. Take care. That was Chip Roy. As I said, and you now know, one of the good guys. 
Thanks for listening to this special Sunday podcast we put together for you. I'm glad you enjoy this. We like doing it. You can hear me every weekday on the radio across the country on over 300 radio stations. Go to Bongino.com. Click on Station Finder to find out where I'm on near you. Thanks for listening. You just heard Dan Bongino.